Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. See you this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 28. Or on your app, you can pull it up. So good to see you. I hope you believe the words that we just sung. And I so appreciate Joey didn't know it. Maybe, he, maybe you do. I don't know. That's my favorite hymn of all time right there because he lives. We come together this morning to celebrate what is the foundational piece of our faith. And if you are a Christ follower, a disciple, a child of God this morning, without the resurrection, what we, are, what we do each and every week would really just be going through the motions and uh, I know a lot of you know that. We are glad that you're here. Again, if you're visiting, especially glad that you're here. My sister and nephew are here this morning. I'm so glad that they're here. And Jesus is alive. Some of you uh, asked me if I was going to share this story. I think I shared it a couple years ago. There's a story of a lady who lived in this house, and next door to her was a gentleman. And uh, he did not really get along. The two of them did not get along very well. I don't know what the issue was, but they did not get along. And she had uh, a pet rabbit. He had a dog. And so she had gone on vacation, and he looked out of his kitchen window into the backyard, and he sees his dog running around in the backyard with something white and fluffy in his mouth. And he starts to panic. Because he realizes this might very well be my neighbor's rabbit that my dog is running around with. And sure enough, he goes, the, the porch door flings open. He runs out into the backyard and he sees his dog running around with this rabbit in its mouth, shaking it and it's dirty. And apparently the dog was playing with it in the mud. And so he grabs the rabbit and he chastises his dog and he's thinking, what am I going to do? Because I know that this lady next door so loves her rabbit. So he did what most of us would do. He took the rabbit inside and he put the rabbit in his bathtub. And he washes the rabbit and he cleans the rabbit up and he gets the hair dryer and begins to fluff the hair of the rabbit. And when it looks almost like it might have looked in its original state, he sneaks over to his neighbor's backyard and he sits the rabbit up on the back, her back porch and just sits it there and runs back home, thinking that he has covered himself, all was great. He hears her car pull into the driveway later that afternoon and he goes out to stand on his back porch to look across the fence to see what's going to happen. And she comes out and she sees this rabbit and she starts running around the yard screaming and shouting and saying, Hallelujah! He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! What he didn't realize is she had buried the rabbit three days prior because it had passed away. Very scary for him, more scary for her. I don't know if you've ever experienced 
watching something come back to life. We know in the scripture that there are stories of people who, at least on a couple of occasions, came back to life. They actually were resuscitated. We know in 1 Kings, the story of the widow's son in the days of Elijah that was resuscitated. We know the story of Lazarus, whom Jesus desperately loved, who was resuscitated and came back to life. But we don't know of any of those that were resurrected. Each one of those who was resuscitated and came back to life, came back to life in the same body that they died in. And they were raised from the dead to eventually die again. But we serve a God who wasn't just resuscitated, but was resurrected. He's not just living again, he's living again in a new body, and he will be returning one day to take those of us who are Christians home. I know that sounds very far-fetched in 2022. Lynette and I were watching a couple of shows last night on TV, and back-to-back, both of the shows were making fun of Christians and some of the things that we believe, dramas that you can find on network television that were poking fun at the beliefs of Christians. And I thought as I was going to sleep last night how the world must watch and look at some of the things that we say we believe and think that, wow, that is really weird or interesting. And I know that some of it out of context is weird and interesting. But we come to Matthew's gospel, and Matthew tells us some things that the other gospel writers don't tell us. So let's pick it up and read it again. Chapter 28, verse 1. It says, After the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, the first day of the week being Sunday, which is why we worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, his garment as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified, but he's not here, he's risen, just as he said, Come see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you'll see him. Behold, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave from Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now, while they were on their way, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You're to say his disciples came away by night and stole him away while we were asleep. The great conspiracy is beginning. Verse 14, and if they come to the governor's ears, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they had been instructed. And this story is still widely spread among the Jews even to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. 
As I was praying about what to share with you today, there is so much that we could talk about. We talked about some of it for those of you that were here Friday night for our Good Friday service. We talked about some of the Passion Week Story Friday and to pack everything in that happened in the very last week of Jesus into a couple of hours is impossible. And so I thought, what could I share with you today in light of when we leave this place today and we go out into the world, how is the resurrection, how is the fact that Jesus is alive going to make a difference? I kind of titled this message, Jesus is Alive, So What? Because to a lot of believers who walk planet earth and say they know Jesus, quite honestly, and you know this just as well as I do because you work in the real world, you go to school in the real world, you interact with people in the real world, for a lot of Christians, quote unquote, the fact that Jesus is alive doesn't really make a lot of difference in the lives of a lot of people that you see. It should, but it doesn't for some. So when you think about what can we say, the fact that Jesus is alive, now what? I thought about four things that I want to take away from the fact that Jesus is alive as I go into next week and the rest of 2022 and 2023. Here's the first one. People are calling. They're so excited to hear about it. <laughs> the first one is this. We don't have to fear. We do not have to fear. It's interesting that the angels uh, are the first one to say this. The angel's the first one to say it in verse 5. He says to the women, when they come to the tomb, do not fear. And then when Jesus appears to the disciples, he says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. You know, Jesus was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. You know, I think about what's going on in our world and what we see in our world. It is so easy, my dear friends, to get afraid. Even the most confident person to live in fear and anxiety. And one of the great things that's happened as a result of the wonderful pandemic that we all went through over the last two years is there are more people on planet Earth right now living in fear and anxiety than in the history of the world. Because they're anxious and emotionally. We have mental health issues that are off the chart. And I believe in the years, the next three, four, five years to come, it'll continue just to skyrocket. And, and great minds better than mine will look back five, ten years from now and say, why in the world did that happen? And they will point to the pandemic. I can't imagine how people who did not know Jesus got through the last two years. I can't comprehend it. I just cannot even begin to understand how it's possible. Because of all the things that were going on in the world. And the world is great at helping us to be fearful and to conjure up our fear and our anxiety. We have the pandemic. We have some things, as Joey mentioned, that many of you are facing in your own families, your own health issues that are going on. We have things that are happening in our world. We have political things that are going on. We have wars. We have things all over the planet that are happening. It's so easy to start getting fearful and living in anxiety. And yet Jesus says to his disciples and the angel says to the ladies, do not be afraid. Jesus is not here. He is risen. And it's interesting that they give an invitation right there. And just a little bit at the end of our service, I'm going to give an invitation. And it's an invitation for you to respond, not to the pastor preacher, but an invitation for you to respond to God's word and what the Holy Spirit, who I believe will speak to you during this service, whatever the Holy Spirit says to you, for you to respond. That's why we have an invitation hymn. 
We don't just tack that on at the end of the service. The invitation hymn is a chance for all of God's people. We are invited to respond to what God says to us. That's why we have the invitation hymn. Not just that. Let's just add an extra song so we get right at 60 minutes of worship. That's not why we have that. And so the angel invites these women to do something. It's very interesting what the invitation is. It's in verse 6. The angel says, he's not here. He is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. We know that the stone was rolled away. But the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away so that the people, the ladies, could go in and see that he wasn't in there. We know from John chapter 10, I believe it is, chapter 20, excuse me, that Jesus in his resurrected body could walk right through material barriers. He could walk right into rooms and appear to people. So a little rock wall is not going to prevent him from coming out. So the stone was rolled away so that these ladies could go in and see. One scholar says it this way, the resurrection of Christ is a subject of terror to those who serve sin, but a subject of consolation. To the sons and daughters of God. Because it is a proof of the resurrection. I love that. I love that. You know when we, um, when we spend money around here. The staff. As we often do on different things that we need to go get for the church. And the work of the church. We are reminded. By Janice. Our wonderful secretary here at the church. She's so much more than that by the way. But we're reminded on many occasions. Don't forget your receipt. Don't forget your receipt. And that receipt is important so that it can document what we've spent. Yes, that's true. But don't miss this. The cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that Christ died upon, was the payment for our sins. The resurrection is the receipt. The resurrection is proof that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that's why we celebrate today. Because that receipt, that resurrection proves that the payment in full was accepted. Despite what is going on, my dear friends, in our world, we don't have to fear because Jesus is alive. We choose to fear, but we don't have to fear. We can have faith over fear. What is the opposite of fear? Somebody maybe asked me that one time. And some people incorrectly say confidence. And what we often mean in our society today when we say confidence is self-confidence. You may be here for the first time in several weeks. I'm so glad that you're here. You may feel fearful to come into a church service because you feel like, well, everybody there is better than me and everybody there is much closer to God than me and everybody there is holier than me. Everybody there is so confident in who they are. Can I just tell you that's not true? As a matter of fact, self-confidence is totally contrary to the Word of God. I don't have self-confidence. I have confidence in who God is. Because I can do nothing apart from Him. And so if you find yourself here today kind of thinking, I, I, I really struggle. I just don't know how, how I can make it. Or I don't have that much self-confidence. Fantastic. Great. You've come to the right place. Because those of us who say that we love Jesus, who are trying to be disciples of Jesus, put our confidence in what happened at the cross and in the power of the resurrection. We don't have to live in fear. We can walk by faith. Another thing that we read in this story is we can can do one of two things. We can worship or we can doubt. When they saw Jesus 
After the ladies ran into the angel, they were given instructions to go and tell the disciples in verse 7. And they departed quickly and they ran into Jesus in verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came and they took a hold of his feet and they worshipped him. When they saw Jesus, they felt compelled to worship. Can I just be honest with you, church family? If you've truly encountered the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you know the risen Jesus, you cannot, you cannot come into his presence and not want to worship him. It's an impossibility. I'm not saying you have to come to church and show up like you're on cloud nine and everything's right with the world and everything's fantastic and you just got a pay raise, somebody just gave you a new car, you just found out your grandparents and they're having twins. Not everything's going great, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you can come into his presence with faith and you can also understand that you have two choices in life. You can either worship or you can doubt. And these ladies, when they came in, they fell at his feet. They chose to worship over doubting. They were filled with joy. They clasped onto his feet. They hung on. And they worshiped him. Boy, again, I look at what's happening in our world. Those are totally two extremes that we see happening. And those are totally two extremes that we see happening in a lot of churches across the land. That are beginning to doubt what God's word says. And it hasn't changed since the very beginning of time. God's word is true. And we can rest in it. And we too, like these ladies, when we come, con- when we come in contact with Jesus, when we come in face-to-face relationship with Jesus, we should follow his feet and worship him. And again, if you're visiting, you haven't been in church for a while, that is, I hope that when you enter into any church, especially Crossroads, that when you enter in and you see people maybe raising their hand in worship, it's not because we're all that. It's not because we're holy. We've decided we're going to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and follow His feet because He's worthy. That's what it's about. That's what life is about. We have to choose worship over doubt. We live in, we live in a world full of doubt. Can't imagine being a parent of a young one in today's society, but I look at some of the things that are happening on the news, and I tell you what, wow. The world is trying to infiltrate our kids and our grandkids and get them to doubt God's word, to doubt who God is. And these ladies decided we're going to fall at the feet of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And Jesus gives them the same instruction that the angel did, says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When they recognized him, one person said it this way, it was natural that they worshipped him, but the whole experience was so mysterious and overwhelming that maybe there was this twinge of unsettled mystery in their minds. A state of uncertainty because they knew. They had seen him die on the cross and yet now here he is walking around. He's appearing to people. He is alive. But they chose to worship. And then all of a sudden the great conspiracy begins. While they were on their way, some of the guard comes into the city and reports to the chief priest all that happened. We read that in verse 11. And they assembled together with the elders, the chief priests. They all counseled together. I hope you're catching it. Because it's interesting that the great conspiracy was not by those outside the church. The great conspiracy was not by those who maybe doubted and disbelieved that Jesus was the Messiah. Although there were those people 
around as well. It was not by what we might deem as the pagans. It was by the religious people who began to send around a conspiracy that there's no way that Jesus could really have been the Messiah. And they start to get this story circulating. That Jesus' body would have to be stolen. And they even were instructed, just tell them that the disciples came by night and stole his body while you were asleep. Now let's just stop for a minute and think about that. There's so many things, again, for lack of time this morning, we could just go through every single conspiracy theory. But let's just choose this particular one that they mentioned. Just go tell people that his body was stolen while you were sleeping. If you know anything about the culture at the time... You have to believe a lot of things if you want to believe that the body was stolen while they were sleeping. You have to believe, number one, that all of the soldiers that were guarding the tomb at that time, all of them, all of them were asleep. All of them at the same time. You also have to know that if that happened and all the soldiers were asleep, if you want to buy that, that that violated the very strictest Roman military law at the time that if you were caught sleeping on duty you know what happened you didn't get a demerit you didn't get your artillery taken away if you were caught sleeping on duty it's like you're not just fired you're dead all the soldiers then had to violate that law all the soldiers also had to sleep so deeply That none of them were awakened by the work and the exertion and the noise necessary to pick up a lifeless body and get it out of the tomb and move the rock out of the way. You have to believe that too if you want to believe that they were all asleep. You have to also believe that if they were all asleep, not one of them, not one single one of them saw any of the people who helped steal the body. It's ridiculous. Matthew doesn't tell us about The fact that Jesus, right after this happened, he appeared to his disciples. John tells us this story in John's account. Matthew is more interested in diving into the end of the chapter that we're going to get to in a minute. But Jesus makes several appearances. So dear friends, don't buy the conspiracy. I hear many, many conspiracies, and you do too right now in 2022, about Jesus and who he is. Jesus was just a good man. I like Jesus. I love Jesus. I think he was a great teacher. He was a good man. I think we should do what Jesus says we should do. Jesus is great. He's he's one way to get to God, but there are several other ways to get to God. That's another one out there. You know what another word for conspiracy is? Lie. It's lies. It's not the truth. It's lies. And so we can live in fear or doubt Or we can live with faith and we can choose to worship. And they were given some instructions as to what to do. The ladies were told to go and share with their disciples a very important story. And we see what happens when they meet Jesus. Verse 16, the eleven disciples proceed to Galilee to the mountain Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, what was their response? They worshipped him. Every time someone encounters Jesus, the response is worship. I wonder sometimes in my life if there's many times I come into a quote-unquote worship service. If my heart is truly poised to worship. Or if my heart is more interested in seeing who else is in the room. 
Or if my heart is more interested in wondering, are we going to sing the songs that I like this morning? Or is my heart more interested, am I going to hear a great illustration this morning? My heart should be, I'm coming to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That should be my heart. And that should be your heart. Because God is alive through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He gives the disciples some very important instructions as they fall and they worship Him. Even though, by the way, some were doubtful. Here's what He says to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Let's stop right there for just a minute. Jesus is telling us that we have the privilege and the command to make disciples. I might say it this way, disciples over consumers. The commission that Jesus is giving follows this important statement. And the beginning of his statement is, all authority has been given into me. If you study the original language of what he's saying there, it's the same language as an officer talking to a low-rank person in the military saying, hey, just in case you're getting to wonder before I give you this order who's talking to you, He's saying, all authority is in me because I have higher authority. I am the captain. I am the general. I am the king. And I'm telling you, a lower rank person, what to do. That's the context of what he's saying to his disciples right there. It also indicates to me that it's an authoritative command. It's not a suggestion. Some people have joked that it's the great omission in the church of today. It's not the great omission. It's the great commission. It's what we are commanded to do as followers of Jesus. It's what we have to do. It's what we're compelled to do. It's what we're supposed to do. It's not a suggestion. It's not a reservation that's just for those of us who are quote-unquote professional clergy. I was talking to a group of college students last week in Atlanta, Georgia, at a conference at the North American, American Mission Board, our Southern Baptist entity that reaches, does missions all over North America. This college student quickly reminded me, and some of you who are college age probably know this, that the fastest growing spread of Christianity was from, from zero when Jesus, 5 BC, right in there, when Jesus was born and as he grew and became a man and died on the cross, all the way up to... 325 was the fastest growing spread of Christianity on the face of the planet. You know what's interesting about that time? There were no churches. There were no clergy. There were no programs. You know who did the spread of the gospel? Believers did the spread of the gospel. Who believed in Jesus Christ. Oh, that we could get back to those times. Because that is what God's word is commanding us to do. And he gives us some details about how to do it. He says, go. It's a command. By the way, that's why we are involved in missions as a church. It's not because it's a good thing to do. It's not because it makes us feel good. It's not so that the community will look around and give us applause and accolades. Look at what Crossroads is doing. Woohoo, yay, yay. No, that's not why we do it. We do it because it's God's command for us to do. And we're told to go. 
here and abroad. It's why we go to places like Bennettsville. It's why we go to places like the Dominican and Malawi. It's why we go to Greer and Simpsonville and wherever you live. That's why we go. And he says, make disciples. It's not just converts or supporters. My dear Crossroads family, I love you guys so much. If you're here this morning and you are a partner, you are a supporter, can I just tell you that's fantastic. But that's like level one, ground level as a child of God. God wants so much more. He actually commands, He expects so much more out of us to step up and reach up and say, no, I'm not just going to be a supporter and maybe give a few dollars. That's important, by the way, when you're in the middle of a building project. That's important, just saying. But God wants more than that. You see, the reality is God already owns your money and mine. He's just letting you hang on to it. It already belongs to him. What he wants is he wants our hearts. He wants us all in. He wants us to be disciples, not just consumers of content, not just to come in on a Sunday morning and eat and eat and eat and burp and go home and nothing spiritual keep happening during the week. Our heart, our pep rally that we have on Sunday morning when we come celebrate Jesus is alive. This is the pep rally for us to go out into the world and tell everybody, guess what? You don't have to spend eternity in hell. Guess what? You don't have to die and be separated from God. Guess what? You get to spend eternity in heaven. You guys awake? You don't have to applaud me. I just want to make sure you're awake. Say, Pastor Jack, you're over the top. I know. I had two glasses of sweet tea this morning just for today, just for you. (laughs) I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Every Sunday, I'm preaching to myself because I need to hear what I'm saying. You may be thinking, hear what you're saying. You're the one who put all this down. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's not even on the piece of paper up here. The only thing that makes me look like I'm more important than you is about four feet because the reality is I am equal with you. I'm in dire need of this cross right here. I'm in dire need of the grace of Jesus. I'm in dire need of being reminded to live by faith and not by fear. I have two post-college age kids. I know the world is out there and so do you. I've got to be reminded not to worry. I've got to be reminded to trust Jesus. I've got to be reminded that with the end of my life, do I want to stand before Jesus and just say, Lord, I just consumed all those great songs every Sunday was such a blessing, Jesus. It was like eating pound cake. It was like eating Joey Estes pound cake, Lord. It was so great. No, I want to say, God, I did what you told me to do. I want to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. The only way I'm going to do that is to understand and realize the great commission is for me and it's for you. It's for every single person who has said yes to Jesus. Now, I know for some of you that may freak you out. That may scare you a little bit because you're like, I don't even know how to share my faith. You know how you share your faith? The same way these ladies did. We have so complicated it in the church. All you do is you run out and go, I just saw Jesus. I just saw Jesus. The same way you would eyewitness if there was an accident and the policeman said, I saw you watching this scene. Tell me what happened here at this little accident. Be an eyewitness. It's the same way. 
we complicate it thinking we've got to have all this great theology and we've got to have our three-step plan and we've got to know the Bible front cover to back cover. I don't know the front cover to back cover of the Bible. You know what I do know? I know what Jesus has done in my life. And you know what Jesus has done in your life. And Jesus says to them, go and make disciples. Here's the interesting thing about disciples which is our heartbeat here at Crossroads, by the way. Our mission at this church, if you're visiting today, is making disciples that serve, shelter, and support the transforming work of Christ. And if what we're doing during a week does not help us do that, we don't do it. Because you can chase your tail in church work and ministry doing everything under the sun to make everything happy, everybody happy, and get to the end of a week, month, or year and go, we did nothing to reach people with Jesus, for Jesus. Disciples are not like spontaneously created at conversion. Converts are spontaneously created at conversion when we say yes to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Then yes, we become a Christian, but we don't automatically become a disciple. Disciples are made in the context of the church body. Disciples are made by doing life with other believers. Disciples are made in the process and by the product of hanging out with other Christians. You say, wow, I never thought of it that way. I'm glad that you're thinking of it that way because that's why I so repeatedly talk about small groups and Sunday school. I love worship services. I love us gathering together to sing. There is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing like hearing you guys sing. That acapella, I want to copy that, Paul. I just stick that in my car. I could listen to that 24-7. That would give me enough spiritual energy to make it the rest of my life. Hearing you guys sing, I love it. But you know what? Disciples are not made solely and primarily in this kind of setting. Disciples are made with you rubbing your shoulders and doing life with other Christians who will challenge you, who will encourage you, who will support you, who will pray for you. I'm telling myself that because I need that. Even as one of the pastors, I need that. And so that is why church and community are so very important. If you're here for the first time or maybe the first time in a while, we love you. Please come back. Please find the group to get around and encourage. By the way, that group might need you more than you need that group. You may have some gifts and some wisdom that they're waiting on, and they're waiting on that person to show up in their group and share that. Jesus says to them, That's your responsibility is to go into all the world and make disciples. But then he says, baptizing them. Baptism does not save you, but baptism is a symbol. And by the way, we're going to have baptism next week. If you're a child of God, Crossroads friend, and you've never followed Jesus by being baptized, I want to challenge you. Next week we're having baptism. We're going to have a big tub up here, and we're going to have baptism. And if you need to get baptized, reach out to the church office. My phone, all the staff's phone number's in the bulletin. Call us this week and say, I need to be baptized. That's not what Jack says. It's not, thus saith Jack. It's, thus saith the Lord. That's what the Bible says. That identifies you with being a child of God. It's much like if you go to a ball game in Columbia, South Carolina. And you watch them run around out on the field out there. They have on a jersey, and the jersey identifies them with their team. That's why they have it on. Say, yo, I'm one of them. I belong to them. I'm one of them. 
Baptism is symbolically saying, hey, I'm identifying to be a child of God. I'm identifying with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm identifying that I'm following Jesus. And he not only says be baptized, but says teach them to obey. Perhaps the most important task that we have. So we can choose. Knowing that Jesus is alive. When we leave this place today, we can choose faith over fear. We can choose to worship over the doubt that may kind of creep into our hearts and our minds. We can choose to be a disciple over being a consumer. Or we can choose joy over sorrow. I love the last thing that Jesus says to them. Do all those things. By my authority, I'm telling you to do all those things. To go, to teach, to baptize. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. And that's not a verse. It's not a statement in his dissertation that he's giving the disciples. That he just kind of... Let's see, how can I wrap this up and make it sound really nice and sweet? Oh, here's, here's a good idea. Lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the age. That sounds good. Let's just add that. It's not a tack on. As a matter of fact, that's the very essence of everything that he's saying there. You're going to go out into a world that's going to be contrary. You're going to go out into a world that's actually going to work in immediate opposition to everything that you're teaching and everything that you're sharing. That's the world that you're going to go out in. That's the people that you're going to face. But don't worry, because I'm going to be with you always, even unto the end of the age. You know what that tells me? It tells me a couple things. That His presence is everything. He's sending us out. When we leave this room today, He's sending those of us who know Him. He's sending us out on a mission. It's not mission impossible. It's mission possible. But the only way that it's possible is because His Spirit goes with us. And this probably freaked them out. You and I read this in 2022, and we can look back, but Jesus is, for one of the first times that I know of in Scripture, sharing with His disciples, He says, you're going to do this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. If you're wondering where the Trinity comes from, there you go. This probably freaked them out a little bit. Holy Ghost. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to be alone. His presence in your life, His presence in my life means several things. It means protection. It means we don't have to fear when we encounter those people at work or school who are totally against Christianity. Chastising us, making fun of us. Oh, you believe that that guy actually came out of a tomb? You actually believe that? I think I've shared this story with you before when I remember in 11th grade sitting in class And somehow we started talking about the Bible and the teacher said to me, somehow she picked me out of 35 students, she decides to pick me out. I'm hoping that was a commentary on maybe she knew I was a Christian, I don't know. But I remember her picking me out and go, "Uh, Jack, I guess if you, uh, you you really believe that story about Jonah getting swallowed by the whale? You really believe that? I'd love to tell you that I responded in a positive way. I think I just kind of bowed my head and kind of just tried to ignore a young girl named Kathy who was sitting in the class that I didn't even know was a believer stood up and she said, I believe it. Matter of fact, I believe if it said Jonah swallowed the whale, I believe that too because it's God's word and I believe God's word. She had God's presence. His presence means protection. His presence means power. When we go out into the world, In just a few minutes, when we leave these doors and go out in the world, we don't go out in our own power. If you're a child of God, part of the power of the resurrection 
And after this conversation, as Jesus is giving this conversation to, to his disciples, part of what he's saying in here and he's hinting at is, as Terry sung for us, is I'm getting ready to leave, but my presence will never leave because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and lead you. And if you and I, dear friends, can I be honest, there are days I try to live the Christian life in my own strength. You can't do it. If you could do it or I could do it, we don't need the cross. His presence means power. His presence means peace. So how are you living today? How has the fact that Jesus is alive affected you? Are you living with faith over fear? Are you living with worship over doubt? Are you living as a disciple or a consumer? Are you living with joy over sorrow? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. And you desire to be alive in us. Lord, I pray during this time of invitation, Father, that you would have your way. Lord, thank you for the cross, but more than that, thank you that you didn't stay on the cross, that the story doesn't stop there. That you are alive. You're alive. Dear friend, while you're praying right there in your seat, as I promised, in just a second, we're going to have a time of invitation. Oh, if we had the time, I would come to every single person, every single chair in here, and I would just say, I'm inviting you. The Holy Spirit of God's inviting you. I'm praying now that the Holy Spirit is doing that, going to every single seat, every single person. How are you doing? Are you living in the power of the resurrection today? Do you know Jesus is alive? I know many of you in this place know that to be true. And you're striving to live that way. A life of faith. A life of worship. Living as a disciple, knowing that the presence of the Lord is with you. But maybe, just maybe, there's one, two, I don't know. Handful of people in here today that would say, I don't, know the, I don't know the power of Jesus in my life every day. Maybe you've even joined a church. My dear friend, that, that doesn't mean you know the power of Jesus. Do you need to surrender to the Lord today? If you do, in just a moment, Joey's going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to invite you to come and respond. Whatever God's laid on your heart, My friend Heath, my friend Corey will be here. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. Maybe you've been visiting for some time and you'd say, you know what? I really want to surround myself with a group of people that will help me grow. I want to put my roots down here at Crossroads. If you do, and that's your heart's desire, in just a moment as we sing, please come to the front and share that. I'll be here waiting. Father, I pray you'd have your way during this invitation hymn, that we would respond, we would be obedient to what you've laid on our hearts to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? So good to see you today. As Joey leads us, if you need to respond in any way, we'll be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you want to call Crossroads your home, we'll be here. Or maybe you just need to
come to know Jesus today. What better day than Easter Sunday to do that? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.